Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. The Fed takes its foot off the gas. Traders express crypto skepticism, and FTX has more money than previously thought. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I'll discuss all this and more with Charles Gasparino from Fox Business News. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Before we get into the interview, let's take a look at some crypto price action. We'll start with some macro news, and here's why. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates by 25 basis points. This is yesterday, of course. This was in line with expectations. Some analysts pointed to a more dovish language by the Fed chair, which means potentially, potentially a less restrictive monetary policy going forward. Bitcoin has responded well, probably no surprise if you're watching the price analysis here on this show. It breached $24,000 for the first time since August. Bitcoin is up more than 3% on a 24-hour basis. Meanwhile, Ether is making an even bigger move today. It's up some 6% from this time yesterday. Ether has not managed to hit $1,700 yet, but is not far off. Of course, Ether has been trailing uh, on a percentage basis Bitcoin, so it's interesting to see this surge here today. One final note. Uh, one final token we're looking at is AVAX, the native token of the Layer 1 blockchain Avalanche. It's up 18% on a trailing 24-hour basis. That's after a new network update went live. Finally, shares of Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, of course, are surging today. The stock is up some 23% right now. That's after its latest results showed resilient revenue. And the company announced share buybacks with some, worth some 40 billion dollars before we get to charles a word from our sponsor this episode of crypto daily briefing is sponsored by the crypto app the crypto app delivers everything you need to stay on top of the world of crypto and of course your own crypto holdings it includes a market leading price tracker portfolio manager analytics suite and newsfeed as well as a wide array of customizable alerts and widgets crypto moves fast so don't get left behind with more than one four million downloads the crypto app is the market's leading app for all things crypto with that said let's bring in our guest charles gasparino is a senior correspondent at fox business news and a columnist at the new york post great to have you with us charles anytime charles i'm so excited to have you here on the show today uh usually on this show we have crypto nerds like me your perspective is so valuable you're one of the best of the world at what you do which is piecing together complicated financial stories especially when stuff goes wrong be it criminal charges, regulatory issues, or civil lawsuits. So excited to have you here. Anytime. I'm 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 proud of you, Ash. You know, I don't know if people realize this, but I met Ash probably over a martini about 20, 15, 20 years ago at Elaine's, the famous Elaine's rest, uh, restaurant and bar. 
and uh, took a liking to him, and uh, he survived working with me as my uh, assistant, and he did some great editors on my book on Dick Grasso. And uh, it was right after I wrote the book on um, about the internet collapse. So I have a little bit perspective on bubbles and stuff of, of that nature. And um, you know, it, and you know, the uh, the Grasso book got into the uh, the Nasdaq bubble, and you know how Grasso played a different role. He was calling attention to it a lot, you know, because remember the the internet bubble blew up the Nasdaq more than the exchange the the New York Stock Exchange listed stocks. Those were the, that's the big board were bigger stocks. The Nasdaq you know controlled a lot of those uh, technology stocks that that got that imploded and, and many of that came back. I mean you know we people forget that Amazon was I I'm I'm going by memory now, but I think it was like a seven dollar stock when at the at the you know when the bubble. Was that when the bubble burst and you know the things were at their lowest and uh, so that's near penny stock levels. Five dollars is the typical cutoff point for what's known as a penny stock, at least according to the SEC. So I've seen these things before. What's interesting about crypto and what makes it different and kind of maybe more speculative, to be honest with you, than than even the internet stocks, is that not all crypto is still not mainstream. After the internet bubble blew up. Um, and the stocks corrected, people were using the internet, you know, right. people were using Google, people were using Amazon, people were, you know, you couldn't just, you know, people were using websites and um, to get news and, you know, it started to disintermediate, you know, the print paper and, you know, so there was a sort of mainstream usage of, of the internet. There, there. I mean, I don't think you could say there's anything close to mainstream usage of crypto right now. Um, there's trading of coins, but the underlying technology, there's not. And and I think that's one of the problems with it. The underlying technology, which could be like amazing, you know, could be, is um, divorced from the, 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 the coins are divorced from the value of the underlying technology. That Bitcoin is trading up. On a lot of reasons right now, I think, you know, the Fed and probably misinterpreting what Powell said. Powell was much more hawkish than dovish yesterday. And I can't believe, you know, the, we're in such a weird mania time still because we've been everybody's so addicted to easy money that they look for. They, they think the Fed will never really go after inflation. They, they'll sacrifice inflation for a, a stock market and, you know, that keeps going up and, you know, full employment or whatever. I, I don't think that's what Powell said yesterday, to be honest with you, but we'll, time will tell. Um, you know, it's up because it is a flight to quality after FTX. You know, you feel safer with Bitcoin than other stuff. But really, you know, what's what justifies a $23,000 Bitcoin price? Do we know how much the Bitcoin blockchain does in revenues? <laughs> I mean, what is the utility? that I can measure it and, you know, it just, there's really not, I, do you know, is there a number out there? This is an interesting question, Charles. You make some excellent points here. First, I learned a ton from you about how to do this job. So I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Uh, it was like going to business school, except we get to have spaghetti bolognese uh, right. instead of textbooks, which made it much more fun for me. <laughs> and but I was a nastier, and I was a nastier professor than most business professors. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what accelerated the process, Charlie. It did. Listen, being this is a, a, being called a fucking dummy a lot helps you. Th if you can get through that, you, uh, <laughs> you never you never actually said that to me. Charlie. The, wor the worst I ever got from you when I knew you were really annoyed, you would say, let me ask you a question. Can you do this or can you not do this? That was about as angry as I ever. <laughs> well, started. that's when you had to make a, a very uncomfortable call. 
Charlie, do we want to tell that story? I managed to get through it. (laughs) Uh, Listen, you make some good points here. And these are things that we think about on this show. We talk about it on this show. The the underlying utility uh, of this new world, of course, uh, the potential is enormous. I think what what differentiates this uh, technology from the internet is the fact that essentially you have venture assets that have instantaneous liquidity. So, you know, if you and I and three of our friends go to a Starbucks and we come up with a kind of a cool idea uh, in 2017, we could publish a white paper, not even really have uh, anything other than that and raise money based on an idea. And the capital would flow to it because there was this tremendous run up in the co- in the price uh, at the time of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and so what you want is that have- good? Is that good? Well, that's a great question. I'm not. I'm not sure. If you good. if you lost money, it certainly wasn't good. Well, I mean, you know, that's why Sam Bankman-Fried was able to do raise so much money from so many sophisticated players, right? Um, and do it, and you know, it, and I listen. I, I I know we always have to put allegedly around FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, but even if he didn't mean to do what he did, and there was no intent. I mean, he created, a, you know, a house of cards. There is no doubt about it. I mean, that Alameda f- hedge fund thing was associated with it. They had a, they had a, they had some sort of algorithm that allowed uh, Alameda to borrow more from the customer money. Um, there's all this weird stuff. I mean, he keeps differentiating being, between FTS US and FTS International. I don't understand what he means by that. The whole thing seemed to be one sort of ball of shit, you know, you know, all mixed in. And his real estate stuff and all that, and, you know, and uh, you know, but but he was able to do what he did, and even if it wasn't illegal, it was pretty bad because of this mania. Because you can get five guys in a room and say, "Oh, let's have a white paper and let's start a crypto exchange," and and you know, and you know, grease some wheels here and there in in uh, in, in in Washington, you know, hire a lobbyist because there's free money floating around. And right. you know, bingo, you you get instant credibility. That's that that is like you know the sort of base definition of something that's bound to fail. Uh, and and I you know I, that that's one of the problems here is that listen, I'm sure the guys at Ripple have a great product. I mean, I keep hearing that, right? Um, but I don't know anybody that uses it. You know, right. I mean, I, I guess people use it. They're overseas, and you know, I, I, you know, it's just. I, I just don't see these things. And, and by the way, and this thing that nobody used really did produce billionaires. Now, some of them aren't worth as much now, but a lot of them cashed out of their Bitcoin around 40,000, from what I understand, uh, leading to more of the, the downdraft, but, or, and maybe their Ether, wherever that traded at the top, you know. Um, but, man, I, I just, I, I, it, it 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 does it there's there's a there's a reality of it and then there's the hope and the hope is still right it seems way off like in the future off well what's interesting about the the hope of this and i think that's right is that you know there there were great hopes about the internet uh, going back to the late 90s. The difference was it wasn't immediately liquid uh, as a venture asset that could Im- instantaneously be changed. Look, we had guys out in Sand Hill Road uh, investing in products, uh, in the investing in companies that were producing novel products in the in the mid 90s and the late 90s. The difference was they weren't instantaneously traded around the world. Uh, you didn't get a price at every nanosecond. You didn't have retail investors piling into it. The exposure was limited to VCs. Well, no, you did have retail investors piling in. I mean, part well, of it, it, Amazon, part of it, Microsoft, but not to the sort of obscure stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
Oh yeah. I mean, they look at look at my book, Blood on the Street, and look up a guy named Henry Blodgett, and you know, you might know Henry Blodgett now as, you know, Mister Business Insider, but 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 you know, he was one of the bubble makers of the of the of the nineteen nineties, and you know, he was pumping some real dog shit stuff and stuff that you've never heard of because they're out of business right now. And, right. uh, you know, it, so I, I'm just saying that, and he wasn't alone, you should point out, but he was one of the major ones. D- did he get um, forced out of the industry? I think was that he the- is barred from the securities industry because of that. And, uh, and that was probably the reason why he started business insider. Cause he was a young guy. No, he, got, he, got, he got, he got, he got a few bucks out of Merrill. Merrill, um, they parted ways when Spitzer started going after him. Uh, Elliot Spitzer, the former New York attorney general who later was also forced out of office because he was, uh, consorting with hookers but that's a whole other <laughs> a whole other segment uh but you know henry like mary meeker and like jack right. Ruby, they were pumping all sorts of shit and by the way so here's how the pump worked but, but at least but at just, least they had to be listed right i mean that's the difference that they well, had that's to, true they, they were listed list. on the nasdaq and there's a lot of shit listed on the nasdaq and they were pumped through brokers right who deal with retail investors first-time investors and retail investors were getting in on these stocks not only through their broker, but also through Ameritrade and E-Trade, because that was the beginning of the online trading phenomenon. Yeah. So remember, there there was that retail presence on, and, and the retail got smoked, absolutely smoked. And that's why there was tremendous regulatory, uh, a tremendous regulatory crackdown. Um, and that's probably why you're going to see it here. What, what scares me a little bit about the government's approach to crypto is that it's half-ass, in my view, at first, and then it's all about control. I mean, you know, you know what I don't like is government saying we need to control everything, right? You know, and when you hear Charlie Munger chime in, now Charlie Munger is like a hundred years old, so you know he, he he's not going to be able, you know, he comes to it with a different. By the way, I'm right behind him at 61, but you know what 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 I love about crypto and and the blockchain is the decentralization aspect right. that like a one world government can't really control the financial system right. that, you know, we, we can control our own destiny in a, in a certain way. Um, and when I hear people saying, oh, the government's got to get rid of it. They got to ban it now because look at all this illegal activity. Uh, look at all these drug deals. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. By the way, you don't think drugs, people don't use dollar bills for drugs and and all sorts of, you know, the internet is not used for, of course it's used for legal activity. People go to jail all the time for downloading kitty porn, you know, through dark web, through the dark web. I mean, you know, so just remember that when you start saying, you know, the, you, I, that's what scares me about 
you know, the crackdown. It's about well, control. Let's folks about exactly that story uh, coming up with Charlie Munger because it's an interesting one. It's an op-ed out today in the Wall Street Journal, maybe published last night on the website. Uh, renowned investor and outspoken crypto critic, of course, Charlie Munger has called for the U.S. to ban cryptocurrency entirely. Listen. He says the U.S. should follow China's example on that one. Munger claims crypto is not a currency, nor a commodity, nor a stock. He calls it, quote, a gambling contract with nearly a 100% edge for the house. We should point out that, that China's ban on crypto appears to have failed to have the intended outcome. Research from Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance shows Bitcoin mining activity quickly rebounded in China after the ban. Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, he's not alone in that among the establishment. Um, listen, I know major financial players who I can't say because we spoke off the record, but they run some of the biggest money management firms and they have contacts in the Biden administration and they run some of the biggest Wall Street firms who have recommended to the Treasury Department and to the and to the, the various you know financial regulators that they should ban this thing. You know, if you're really worried about it, just ban it because it's 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 used for no good and it's going to take away the Fed's power to regulate you know the banking system and and um, you know, that might happen. I mean, I I do not that that is if you're in this business and you're invested in this, I mean, that is something that could happen. And, you know, uh, it's just, you know, when you, you're basically telling the government to go fuck themselves with this, by, with, by embracing this te technology. And, um, you know, you know, if, if you really believe in it, you're the, 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 the belief is that you make the Fed obsolete, right? In a sense. Well, that's that's a I think a, a position that we see, especially from the Bitcoiners, uh, this idea of abolishing the Fed and the idea that Bitcoin right. could essentially make fiat currency uh, obsolete. I don't know that I go that far personally. I, I see Bitcoin as as more of a, a digital gold and off the grid store of value that's de that basically uh, is an inflation hedge potentially uh, for a, a period. If but it's only but it's only that yes, it's only that if people use the blockchain. Right, because it's nothing. Because I mean, gold does have some utility theoretically, right? I mean, you know, gold watches, gold. I'm sure, it's in something, you know. I've, you know, I rings, you know. So it does yeah. have some, and it's been around. Let's face it, forever. Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin, if there's no utility to it, you know, you know, be, you know, a lot of people say, well, why, why, why use that as an inflation hedge if if it's nothing but air? So now, here's the thing, if there is utility to it. If there is utility to ether, and as you, as you know, the the Ethereum people are doing really cutting edge stuff, right? I mean, Definitely. those guys are not stupid. Those guys are really smart, right? Consensus and all these different things they're doing on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, if you believe in that as the future, a future technology, then you are you are essentially taking power away from from the central bankers. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Oh, I think that's right. Definitely taking powers away from central bankers, whether or not they don't like that. The flood. Well, not surprisingly, nobody likes being obsolete. Yeah. Right. So that's why they. That's why the government will could prop could ban it at some point. And by the way, one more, one more Sam Bankman free, you know, shit show, and you might get that. Um, here's the interesting thing, though, that I found about regulation of crypto. You know, I, I've been covering the um, the uh, Ripple case, the XRP Ripple case, yes. a lot. Um, you know, I listen. It's all about this Supreme Court um, precedent called Howey on what constitutes a security that must be registered with the SEC. Right. And you know, the SEC takes a kind of a fundamental view, you know, that 
if you sell it, if there's a common utility that you sell it to build out, you know, well, guess what? You created a secure. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and this is a cliff note version, but that's how they look at it. Ripple comes back with a whole bunch of other things like, oh, we didn't just sell it for the common utility. We sold it for this. We also had venture money to build out our, our Ripple platform. And uh, I mean, and, and you know, listen, they, and they have some really smart people arguing their case. I mean, they, Professor Grunfest, I think it's Stanford, uh, is a longtime securities expert at securities law, says Ripple has a good case. Uh, Mary Jo White, they've hired. Um, they're not stupid. They're fighting the SEC. The judge seems, if you read, if you kept up with this thing, the judge seemed to be siding with Ripple until the FTX thing. Now, then you have FTX, and you know, now you just wonder, like, is the judge really going to say, that Ripple uh, is right on this, and you know, you know, and take power away from the SEC to regulate uh, the cryptocurrency. The so let's just say they rule in favor of Ripple. Uh, oh, excuse me, the SEC, and that means the S everything is open. By the way, the SEC could go after Ether tomorrow if that's the case, because Ethereum did, I think, an ICO as well, and there's a whole bunch of sales of. Of ETH and you know by by some of the by, by some of the insiders and you know so I mean you you can make the case that they did exactly what Ripple did, isn't it like such bullshit if they do this? It's such bullshit they go up. What was the harm, really, to society that the X that the Ripple people sold XRP? What was the harm that someone bought it and didn't know it was XRP? I mean, think about that. If I go out and buy dog shit coin. Okay, why is that something? I mean, do I really need the SEC to protect me from from buying a Beanie Baby that's an, that's now an NFT? This is a great. This is a great. You question. don't. You don't. What do you need the SEC to protect me? Well, you need these guys to protect me. Now, if some guy creates an exchange and says my money's safe, and has all these disclaimers, yeah, your money's safe. It's stored. You can't borrow against it. All this, but that is really the case. That is kind of what you need the SEC to do. So they think about this. They went after, they regulated, and this goes back to the Trump years under Jay Clayton, who's a friend of mine. I love Jay, great guy, but I would tell him this to his face. Um, you went after the wrong thing. The thing wasn't whether, I mean, we all know if you buy a Bitcoin, it's buyer beware. I mean, okay, if it goes down at 18 tomorrow, would you like be, I mean, would you be that surprised? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? You just know it. You know, it's a speculative investment. It says it on its, there's a big, big thing. It says speculative just because it's crypto. Right. Um, but you take that chance and you don't need the SEC to tell you that it's speculative. You do need the SEC or the Justice Department to make sure that when some guy trades a trade something that, you know, it's not stolen, particularly in something that like FTX, which is advertising on, on US television, meeting with Gary Gensler, the current SEC chief, twice. You know, FTX was going to go in business, Sam Bankman-Fried, with a Brad Katsuyama at IEX. Yep. I think between them, they met with, S with, with Gensler, and they were looking for SEC approval for their joint venture exchange. They were essentially going to create a bank, a crypto bank, like a, that, could, that could take custody of these things, from what I understand. Like a bank would, but only in crypto. And they were they were meeting heavily with the SEC uh, right before uh, FTX imploded. Uh, I want to say like seven times between them. You would think 
that someone at the SEC would say, hmm, you know, maybe we should check under the hood and see what this FTX exchange is like before we, uh, as we're going down this road. And like nobody did it. Yeah. It's it's really like the regulation of this has been so haphazard. Right. And half-ass, it's like, I, I Brad Garlinghouse and those XRP Ripple people did nothing to anybody. You know, as long as you, if, listen, if you told me that the Ripple technology was a scam, which I've been told, you know, by, by people at the SEC that it's not, but I'm not, I'm not endorsing, I'm just telling what they told me. I've never traded on. But if you tell me that they sold it to create some something that's a scam, I say, okay, bust them. Stealing has always been a crime. If you're telling me the worst thing they did was sell XRP to the open market as crypto was taken off and then finance Ripple, I would say, you know, the guy that bought it on the other end knew there were there was some, you know, there's a, you know, there's a there's risk, and the SEC thinks that we need protection from that stupid thing, not whether someone behind the scenes is stealing my wallet. Well, this is a really good point. And, you know, the challenge here about whether something should or shouldn't be legal, you know, we, we you know, recently had this reckoning with this here in the United States for, for decades, putting, you know, tens of thousands of young people in jail every year for smoking pot. And we looked at it and went, that, that right. just doesn't make any sense, right? That's not a priority. That's not the thing. When, well, well, meanwhile, here in, you know, in New York City, we've got these horrific crimes happening on the subway, guys throwing women in front of subway trains. Oh, and yeah. We're arresting kids for smoking weed. It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> but the challenge here and now, um, just so you know, yes, now they don't arrest you for smoking weed or throwing women in front of trains in New York City. So, you know, we've gone the other direction. Right, exactly. And it, it, it takes some time to figure out what the right balance is. And, you know, this is the, ch- the challenge with and, and I see your point. Uh, you know, if you're buying an asset that you think is speculative uh, and, and, and just about everyone, I think, who goes into it knows that that's the case at this point. Uh, what's the what degree do you need to protect people from themselves? And the other point about this is, 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 you know, in the event that the judge finds uh, in favor of SEC, what is the what does the penalty look like? So, for example, I'm looking at the SEC website right now. September 30, 2019, uh, SEC orders blockchain company to pay a $24 million penalty for an unregistered ICO. This was block one. A $24 million penalty was taxi fare uh, for block one who raised, I, I believe, over a billion dollars in an ICO. So the question really isn't... Uh, you know, just whether or not they uh, find for uh, for Ripple or SEC, but what the penalty looks like. And is it kind yeah, of... Yeah, a- well, the SEC's penalties have never been that, you know, onerous. I, mean, I think the most onerous I can remember is Michael Milken having to pay $500 million back in 1992 or so. And he wrote a uh, check. He, but yeah, that, that that's a chunk of change. Okay, even for him. I mean, he was worth a billion, but a billion was a billion back then. Yeah. In 1990. Um, so... You know, the real people that took it on the chin were the XRP holders because yeah. it crushed the, 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 the coin price. And if they are holding it now, listen, if they win, you know, it's an interesting play. The coin could double in value. You're doing pretty good if you bought it at its, you know, at its lows and it could be listed back on Coinbase and things like that. You could trade it, you know, again. Uh, if they lose, it's probably, you know, where it is now or lower. You know what I'm saying? So I think average people get... Get 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 banged on this thing. Um, the but again, why is this something to be? Why is this like a something to be celebrated? It really, it did nothing. You know, it reminds me of the SEC going after insider trading. Now everybody thinks insider trading is like the worst thing. It's like you know, it's it's horrible. It's it's the financial crime equivalent of murder, right? 
It's not. It, just think about what happens, who's the ultimate victim in this. If I sell my stock for $10 and some guy buys it, knowing it's going to 20 because he works in, you know, company that, that he works at the company and he knows what, what they're going to buy something with their earnings going up. I mean, that's classic. That's known as classic insider trading. Um, am I really victimized? Well, you could say, well, you didn't know that it was going up to 20. Sure. But let's just say I, I was going to sell no matter what, even if, you know, he, he, he's benefiting. I'm just a, a, a blind seller. You know, and, you know, it's not that I'm a victim, you know, it, it's the other guy made out, you know, I didn't, I didn't like, you know, he didn't steal from me. I was going to sell no matter what. I made a decision to sell. So he knows something I don't know. Okay. And I'm just telling you that that's different than Bernie Madoff making up shit and stealing your money. That's a lot different than, than what Sam Bankman-Fried did, which is actually steal stuff. And I think the SEC has got to like sort of put its, you know, put its priorities right. Um, I've always said it on insider trading. I'm not, I'm not condoning insider trading. I'm just telling you that it, it's not the same thing as these other crimes that when, when people lie to you and steal your money. You know what I'm saying? That's not what insider trading is. The guy on the other end trading did not lie to me. He just had an information advantage. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so good to hear you talking about this, Charlie, someone who's very much uh, in the traditional finance world, somebody who's been covering uh, traditional markets for decades now. And I think that a lot of people here in the crypto space uh, feel the same way that you do. By the way, talking of FTX, I wanted to touch on this because we got some new news flow out. And I believe you've reported on this as well in the New York yeah. Post. Uh, a new court filing from STX uh, had more than $1.4 billion in cash at the end of last year. That's up from the $1.24 billion as of November 20. The amount of cash at its associated trading firm, Alameda Research, more than doubled to nearly $870 million. The company has also trimmed its workforce. 320 people worked at FTX when it filed for bankruptcy on November 11th. That figure had dropped to 195 by year end. FTX's co-founder and former CEO currently awaits trial, of course, in the U.S. That's Sam Bankman-Fried. He's been indicted uh, on eight crimes, including wire fraud and money laundering, which we've just been talking about. He, of course, has pleaded guilty, uh, excuse me, not guilty, not guilty to all of those charges. Uh, Charlie, uh, we should say that you've been writing about uh, this because it, it has implications for the workout, uh, meaning what those depositors and creditors will get back. Uh, what does your reporting tell us on this? Well, I reported in the New York Post, I think it was last week, um, that the creditors, I, had, I have sources in the creditors committee, um, think they're going to get like half or three quarters of their money back uh, to people. Now, there's a lot of caveats around this. Just bear with me here. Um, there, there's $8 billion, I think. They kind of found about five or six billion. Some of that stuff is weirdly priced. It's not just Bitcoin that you can sell. And by the way, if you, even if it is Bitcoin, think of it this way. If just say that there's, Three billion, four billion in Bitcoin in the FTX accounts, and you liquidate it immediately. What would that do to the price of Bitcoin? Like, yeah. you know, so you don't really get that back. And you know, who knows what else is there? there's real estate in there that's valued at X. You know, who knows what it's valued at when you sell it? There's um, there's venture investments in there. Who knows what you what it's valued when you sell it? You know, these are all 
kind of weirdly they're not illiquid but they're weirdly liquid stuff and then there's cash if there's cash there's cash you know that's all that's all the thing and then it's going to take about two years to unwind and so there's a time value of money so remember when you know i i i wrote a story and basically said in the lead it's like a glass half full half empty thing you know yeah there's going to be a recovery it's going to be probably a substantial recovery um but you know who knows how it's going to turn out in the end and it's going to be a, a time lag I want to say one other thing. Everybody thinks crypto, no one understands it in my generation. It's all new. It's not traditional. By the way, it is all traditional. These are crimes that are traditional. Bitcoin crimes will be, crypto crimes will be all traditional. It'll be some scumbag stealing your money and lying to you. And that's all it will be. And, and you know, that is traditional. And that's why it's, for me, it's easy to cover, and that's why, for me, watching it being regulated in this half-ass way is hysterical. Listen, you don't think that people thought when they were creating the internet, they no one understood it was the internet? Of course they did. You know, and then all of a sudden, my my mother-in-law, who's 80 years old, starts buying books on Amazon, okay? Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, listen, if, 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 if it's impossible to understand, except uh, unless you're 20 years old, then no one's going to use it. Then it's worth zero. You know, you, it has to be, you have to be able to use it. Now, that doesn't mean that I can, like, you know, write code <laughs> or that I want to be a Bitcoin miner and, you know, solve, you know, these wicked math problems and all this stuff. <laughs> Charlie, that, glorious stuff. <laughs> right. But I mean, still, I mean, you know, if I, if I, if I want to trade on it, you know, I could probably trade on it. I want to buy like a slice of pizza on Bitcoin with Bitcoin. I could probably do it if I wanted to. But why would you want to? Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Charlie, we got some great viewer questions from the audience uh, that I wanted to get to in just a second. But first, uh, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision content, and it's always free. Uh, that's where tomorrow you'll find the latest Rouse Adventures in Crypto. He spoke with the chief fintech officer of Singapore's Monetary Authority. Wow, this is really cool. Uh, find out what's driving crypto adoption in Asia tomorrow. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit all the notification bells. Uh, Charlie, viewer questions pouring in. Uh, the first one comes. The first one comes to us uh, from Ralph H., one of our regular viewers. Boy, uh, Ralph. Uh, Ralph knows this story. Listen to this, Charlie. Uh, question for Charlie about Dick Grasso. Did Ken Langone and others have Elliot Spitzer investigated because of his charges that Dick Grasso's pay package was excessive? I ask this because I remember Langone saying on CNBC that a friend of his was behind Spitzer at the post office and saw him buying money orders. This is a great. Story. Well, this is a funny story because I know. You know, it's not it's not a crypto story, but it's a great story. So here's the thing: you, we should point out that how did CNBC get that interview with with Langone? And it got it because of me. I was working at CNBC at the time. I was covering the financial crisis. I was all over the place. I was covering Bear Stearns that week, the same week that that Spitzer got busted. 
that's when they interviewed uh, Ken Langone, the great financier. His name is on every building, every hospital. NYU Langone's one of the great hospitals because he raised, he gave them three hundred million and raised a billion. That's how amazing this guy is. He created Home Depot, co-founder. I can go on and on. But anyway, but Ken speaks his mind, right? So Spitzer sues Grasso and Ken Langone, who was the head of the New York Stock Exchange Compensation Committee, saying these guys made too much money. It was a dopey case. The New York Stock Exchange was a non was a not for profit, not a non profit. Its seat holders back then were the essential shareholders. It was a club, and Dick Grasso made them millions. And Ken Langone thought he should get a pay package that was pretty good, and Grasso took it. It was one hundred thirty five million dollars. We should point out that given the amount of wealth that he created, that's chicken feed compared to what these Wall what what hedge fund managers make when they can't beat the the S and P five hundred. Trust me on this one. Right. So um, anyway, Spitzer brings the case. The case is still going on. And then he gets arrested for 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 essentially um, screwing a prostitute and many prostitutes or several. Um, everybody's telling me since they know I know Grasso. Um, I just I wrote the book on the book came out already um, came out like earlier that year. He said, you got to get Grasso. You got to talk to Langone. You know, you, you're the only one. Is there, everybody had seen me see And I was like, you know, they're, they're kind of pissed at me over the book because it was, it was a controversial book. They're not pissed at me anymore. Over it. They Now they read it. They're like, that was a really good book. It was pretty funny. But it was raw. It, I get it. It was raw for them. Right. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, they can't, they're not returning my calls. Long story short, I'm like, God, I, I, somehow I was looking at my calendar from the year before. I noticed that on the same day this all went down. Grasso and Langone every year at this time have a dinner at the Tribeca Grill where they donate money to the Green Beret Foundation, which is a foundation that it's a charitable foundation that the Green, you basically give money and Green Berets give talks around the country and raise money for soldiers and stuff and wounded warriors and things like that. It's an amazing charity. So I was like, mm, that's right. It's like today. So I call up the Tribeca Grill and I didn't lie. And I said, hey, it's Charlie Gasparino. And he goes, oh, hey, and I'm friends with the owner. Drew Nearpont is a friend of mine, right? So I said, how's Drew? Oh, he's doing wonderful. You want a reservation? I, I said, no, but I'd like to know, is Mr. Grasso and Mr. Langone there for that Green Beret event? Oh, yes. Are we going to see you tonight? Yes. I said, I said, what time will they get there? Oh, 7.30, <laughs> whatever. So I call up my boss, Jonathan Wald. I said, we got him, Okay. He goes, well, I need you in studio. Can you stay in studio? We'll send a producer. I said, yeah, just send a truck down there. And I said, make sure you show them a picture of Grasso and Langone. I said, this Langone, Grasso's not going to say a word, but this guy will. That's all you got to tell him. And so um, we had the car. Grasso and Langone sees him. And Grasso's like, I can't believe this shit. I'm not getting out. I'm not getting out. And then Langone said, because Dick told me this, right? Dick Langone said, fuck him, I'm getting out. I'm telling him. And that's what he said. You know, I had my, you know, he was going nuts. And like, if there was any hell, should be the darker hell, the, the hottest hell for him. And my friend was watching him. Okay, so that happened. Everybody starts saying, what the fuck did they set him up? Now, as you know, because you worked with me on the book, about... When I was when we were working on the books, Grasso slipped to us because remember there was a whole scene where Elliot Spitzer was trying to imply that Grasso was having an affair with somebody. It was really stupid. It was like, a, it, 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 and he wasn't, by the way, just, just so you know. But Spitzer was going that low, and they, he found the check that he wrote to somebody, a woman. The woman was 
the wife of his best friend growing up and they needed money to send it. That's how what type of guy that Grasso was. And, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they need money to send their kid to NYU. He wrote the check. He gave them like a $40,000 check. And what Spitzer was trying to apply, and he, he was bringing this up, was that that was his love child. It was like really bad stuff, right? So I told Spitzer, I told Grasso, I said, I saw this in the depositions. Remember, you and I were reading all those depositions. Yes. And and Grasso slipped to me and said, yeah, and we know they're trying to slime me, but we know he's got stuff going on with some young some young ladies or something like that. So he knew. He knew. And so I, so after this came out, I remember talking to Grasso and he, and he just like hung up on me. He didn't want to go there. But so now, does that, is that, does that mean that I'm 100% sure that they set him up or they, they trailed him with the hookers? No. But it's kind of an interesting thing that they knew he was having, you know, fooling around on the side. Definitely told me this. And um, and then the guy gets busted. And then Gross, and then Ken go, goes out there and starts saying, well, friend, watch the mail order for hookers. By the way, what really got him nailed, though, wasn't the mail order for hookers, just so you know. <laughs> it was that he was taking money out of the banks out of a bank account, and the bank issued a suspicious activity report. Right. Listen, if you pull 40 grand out of the bank or whatever he was doing, or 10 grand out of the bank, and say, give me 10 grand cash, you're going to get a suspicious activity report. That's right. That's, by the way, that's why a lot of people want to want to outlaw crypto, because you know there's no suspicious activity report that if you want to do a drug deal on with, with Bitcoin. So, um, well, actually, it's a, it's a perfect tie into our next question here. I guess we've learned that human yeah. nature doesn't change. The, the foibles and failings are still there. Here's a question that comes just from Ken W. on the Real Vision website. Question from Mr. Gasparino regarding Munger's suggestion. Is it possible to require crypto firms doing business in the U.S. to be solely domiciled in the United States? Obviously, uh, what uh, Kevin's getting to here is this idea of trying to put some controls around it, as we, as we saw with um, suspicious activity reports on banking. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, the very nature of the blockchain is that it's anonymous and it's global, isn't it? Can you I just have a U.S. Can you just have a, a, a blockchain that's walled off in the U.S.? Well, you can have a regulated entity uh, like uh, like Coinbase, for example, that uh, is publicly traded here in the United States. It's regulated. But that's a, that's that's different. That's an exchange. That's you know that's just trading the coin. That's much more sort of confined, and it's much more centralized. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Can you really, I mean, it is, it's by very nature, an exchange is centralized. That's why those assholes should have been up Sam Bankman-Fried's ass. I mean, think about the whole fucking thing. It was a centralized mechanism. It fit the category of a regulated exchange. Why do exchanges are regulated here in the U.S., right? And they were, they, they were dicking around with this, with XRP. I, it's so unnerving. Um, so I don't, I just think conceptually, uh, unless I, I Listen, this is, a, this is a question you got to ask, like, Joe Lublin, one of those guys on that. Who's the Russian dude? Vitaly, whatever. Vitaly, yeah. Ask him. Can you do – I mean, that's a great question for one for, – <clears throat> like, or Charles Hoskins, right? Another smart guy. Yeah. Ask him, can you create a dom U.S. domicile blockchain? Well, they've all been on this show before. I think the answer to that question is in terms of uh, 
you know, in, in this sense, FTX being analogous uh, to Coinbase in terms of the functionality, you can certainly create the on and off ramps here in the United States that are regulated. You have to give your social security number. Uh, you have to do those kinds of things. You can then uh, track uh, reserves and all that. But, you right. know, the, the challenge becomes the underlying blockchains themselves. And this is the this is the real, the, the battle here is not a technological one. It's a philosophical one about, you know, how much information government deserves, how much control they have over assets. And this is something that, you know, there isn't a technological solution to or even a legal solution to when you have these big philosophical questions. Well, so let me ask you this. If I go on, if, if I wanted to trade on the blockchain, there's a way... You can you can put up some sort of a firewall where I I become identified. There's, I mean, there's a product you could technologically create something where you know who I am. Well, this is a whole other sort of question. This is sort of the I, I mean, techno can technology can the blockchain technology hmm. do that? I guess is well, you can you can certainly you can certainly block and have and have Google, for example, block access to certain websites. But it becomes very hard to do. If That's different. That, and, you're not accessing the Bitcoin blockchain through Google. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's it's, it's a different. Yeah. I, I just yeah, wonder if you can regulate it. Well, it's very challenging. And ultimately, I think the the question is, it's not a binary proposition. It's not like an on-off switch. I think you can make it certainly much more difficult for people to access. But I think people who are sophisticated, uh, people who understand how to use the technology will always find ways to circumvent it. Now, the flip side of that is, if it's a technology that only people who are smart enough to circumvent uh, regulatory controls have access to, right. then the prices are much lower, right? Then it's not a mainstream technology. So those are the, the kind of balancings. And by the way, we should point in, FTX, uh, of course, is a highly centralized exchange. One of the challenges that we have is that this problem of centralization in this space without regulation. So you had something that was centralized, but not regulated. Well, that's the problem. I mean, it should have been regulated like an exchange. And it wasn't. And it clearly. wasn't. And it was, and it, you know, they, and then we could have like, you could have the conversation about the whole, the Howey test, but it's, you know, that's not a pressing matter because everybody that buys this shit knows it's a fucking roll. You know, what you don't think, what Kevin O'Leary had no idea about was that his account was being pilfered. Like, one, he told me, one day it was X, next day it was zero, you know? Yeah, and yet he said that he would still back another FTX uh, venture. Excuse me, another Sam Bankman-Fried venture after FTX. Well, uh, whatever. <laughs> That's his, you know, why, why people say what they say after, after getting banged like that is a, is a whole other story. Charlie, I know you've got to run. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and viewers with. Um, God, what is it? Covered so much ground. Um, I think more regulation is coming. I think what we have right now at Bitcoin is a flight to quality. Those are all things to be worried about. I think that we need to see some more mainstream usage of the blockchain. It needs to it needs to progress faster, and if it doesn't, then you know if this is just a mechanism to to hide your drug sales, they're coming for you. You know they're coming. Well, I don't think it's just that. I think there's a lot more uses for this technology that are just beginning. If you would imagine us uh, having this conversation in 1997, for example, about the internet, it would have been impossible to predict. No, no, but by, by 1998, yeah. by 98, I, people were, by 97, people were using it. 
Absolutely, but the technologies that came out of it would have been impossible to predict. I'm thinking about things like Uber and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and the the applications uh, and functionality that we have uh, would have been impossible to predict. And I think that what's happening that and your point is is taken and it's a valid one. I think, which is this idea of like, hey, listen, when the internet uh, was getting uh, these stock prices running to the moon, whether it was Amazon or Microsoft back in late '99. Uh, the reason for that was that you had people actually using it. They were generating revenue. I think what makes this technology different is the fact that it's essentially liquid venture bets that become uh, basically tradable on day one. Uh, and so what we've seen is this difference in kind here where you have access to, to liquid markets in it in a decentralized way or a centralized way. Yeah, well, maybe it's, gonna, maybe it's gonna lead to something like that with real usage. Yeah. But right now, there's a there's there's a disconnect between the technology and the coins and, and the price you, and the and price pri the price of the coin well, that's what I meant and if you don't bridge those two faster I, I just you know people at some point are gonna lose patience with this thing except for the, maybe the real diehards you know it, they will lose patience you know because you know this you know you only you know life is short right you only got so much time to you know throw you know good money at something that doesn't happen I, you know I, it kind of reminds me you know the argument for the blockchain kind of reminds me of what um bill sapphire the late great columnist for the new york times once made made about star wars remember reagan created that star that theory of the star wars defense that you know if russia ever attacked us we would have beamed down you know fucking things from outer space that would blow up the the, the nuclear missiles and you know what he said was who cares whether it's going to work or not but if you do this, we may get a million other technologies out of this and cure cancer. Okay, um, that's I could see that with the blockchain. You know that we're going to figure out other things as we study this, and that may be a good that may be a good thing. I mean, that is a good thing if you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, if we figure out like a better way to transact cheaper, more efficient for everybody around the world, and the blockchain guys did that based on this this thing. Well, man, that, that's a great thing, uh, but but still, we're gonna have to see some of this. You, if if the dis if this disconnect continues, people are gonna lose patience. Yeah, I think it's just the scratch on the scratch of the surface. There's much more interesting stuff to go. Charlie, thank you so much. Really a pleasure having you. This was a blast. Anytime, my my pleasure. Thanks again. Okay. This episode of Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by the Crypto App. The Crypto App is your place for all things crypto. Download the Crypto App today on Google Play or iOS App Store. That's it for today. We'll be back same time tomorrow with Asset Manager Chris Sullivan, who will join us live. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Thanks for watching, everybody.